The following is a hoop bowl presentation. It's the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are. Happy Paul George week. PG is set to return this week. How exciting it is. What a wonderful week. Expecting him to return on Thursday. We don't have final word on that yet. Um, Kawhi Leonard, not sure if he's going to play Wednesday or Thursday. We are recording this at 11 a.m. on Wednesday morning, so still no word yet. We're going to have Andrew Greif of the LA Times on this podcast, and he'll give us an inside look into the team, and perhaps he has a little more info on when Paul George will return, most likely Thursday, and if Kawhi Leonard is going to be there with him on Thursday, or if Kawhi is going to play Wednesday and then sit Thursday so they stagger the two. There's a couple different ways to look at it. Initially, I thought for sure they would have Kawhi play today, that being Wednesday, and Paul George return Thursday so you can stagger the two and probably get a couple of wins since you have both guys. But as we've seen, wins don't really matter that much right now. I think it's probably more important to have the two guys on the floor together to develop some chemistry. Remember, they haven't played together yet. Paul George was obviously hurt during the preseason, and Kawhi Leonard wasn't playing with him. So this is going to be the first chance that the two of them have to play together, and you want to have as many reps as possible. So more than likely, I would assume that Kawhi would sit in this first night of a back-to-back, but it is national TV, which is the only reason why I think it's possible he doesn't sit, because ESPN probably would not be happy if he sits on Wednesday and then plays a non-televised game on Thursday. That game's going to be on prime ticket. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens, but I would think that the two would play together on Thursday against New Orleans because you want to have them get as much reps as possible. I would assume it's not going to take very long for the two of them to figure things out, but as we've seen with Kawhi and what he said after that Toronto game is that he's still really filling out his teammates, and he doesn't quite think that they're there yet Uh, in terms of chemistry. He said there's going to be some fights, there's going to be some yelling, but they'll get there. And I think so far, the results have been very positive. A 7-3 and three record, you cannot be upset about that. 7-1 and one with Kawhi. Um, some of these stats are courtesy of Jovan Buha of The Athletic. Second hardest schedule so far for the Clippers. They're 8th in offensive rating, 11th in defensive rating, 5th in net rating, best defense since Halloween. And, of course, they're getting the number 3 MVP vote getter from last year, Paul George, this week. So exciting times for the Clippers. And let's go ahead and talk some more Clippers with Andrew Greif. Well, welcome back. The second time we've had this guy on, Andrew Greif of the LA Times, does incredible work for that newspaper and the website as well. He's been following the team so far this year, has seen them get off to the 7-3 and three start, 7-1 and one with Kawhi Leonard. It's Andrew Greif. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again. We find you in Houston, the hotel room in Houston, as the Clippers are getting ready to begin a back-to-back set. Both on the road, it's Houston for game number one, nationally televised game on ESPN, and then at New Orleans. Obviously, the big story is Paul George anticipating his return this week. Woj is saying it's going to be either tonight or tomorrow, and then, of course, we're seeing Yahoo report it's going to be tomorrow. My guess is the only reason why Woj is saying either today or tomorrow is because his network is carrying the game tonight. So is it safe to say that Paul George is probably going to return tomorrow? 
He's officially questionable for tonight against Houston. Um, I think that what I was told that everything is trending toward tomorrow, um, but maybe that's a day of game feel where Paul says, I want to play. Um, I think they're leaving that possibility open maybe for, for him to feel differently. And I say that because um, we had talked to Doc Rivers in Utah when Kawhi Leonard sat out the first time this season for load management. And he talked about how things have evolved, at least with him, where um, even going back to last year, they would plan out a player's rest uh, weeks in advance. Like Danilo Gallinari, he's an example. Uh, they would say, hey, you know, in this game in the future, let's give him some rest, you know. And then the day of the game would happen, and the player would say, I feel great. Um, why am I sitting? And they say, well, you know, the rest, the rest, the, the schedule, the schedule. And so I think that they're probably, especially with Paul and Kawhi, who have, um, you know, they're very attentive to what they need. I think that they're probably going to leave the door open essentially at the last moment to whatever those guys feel like. That's, that's, that's at least my feeling is that there is a plan. Um, they want to stick to it, but they also have to be attentive to uh, kind of the, how the players feel in the moment. Do you think there's anything to Paul not returning tonight because you don't want to have the hoopla that surrounds him and Westbrook in game number one? I don't think so. Um, I, just because I don't, I don't know how much that really um, is processed by the player themselves. I think they went out there, they just go play. I think if anything, it'd probably be fun um, in some ways um, for those guys to face each other. So I I don't think that would be a factor in it. I I do think that it's, I mean, it's going to be a hoopla no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that probably isn't as big a factor as just honestly how the shoulder is. Yeah. Initially when the news came out that he was going to return this week, I thought for sure it would be that Kawhi plays today and PG returns tomorrow. You stagger the two. You get a couple of wins probably because you have obviously two top ten guys playing and you stagger them out. And then I, I saw some stuff on Twitter that made a lot more sense where you may want to sit them together and then play them together considering they haven't played yet together to get kind of that momentum going and get that chemistry. Which do you think the Clippers would be better off doing, staggering them or playing them together? Um, I think that I would probably rather play them together mm-hmm. um, because they have been very limited on their on their actual their reps together. So I think that would only be a, a helpful thing. But I think there is a lot of sense to you know staggering them and, and giving yourself maybe a better chance to win both games of the road trip. Um, I, it's kind of a hard decision from my point of view, like which one seems better. But I, I would I might vote getting in some on court reps together. Yeah, I thought in a game sh- situation, I should say. Right, exactly. And I thought for sure that you want to get the wins. But then I thought about it, and with the load management that's going on, it just seems like wins is not really the major priority for this team. And they're going to get wins when they're not sitting their top players. I mean, right now, 7-1 and one with Kawhi, and then you're adding Paul George. You're going to win the majority of your games when you have the two of them on the floor together. So maybe it might just make more sense to have the two of them play together and, and get that chemistry. Because I'm very fascinated to see what's going to happen. And that kind of leads us into the Landry Shamit discussion, because Sham was obviously starting. Paul George just seamlessly, seamlessly goes into the starting lineup now for Shamit. The interesting thing is, will it be – I know Doc has discussed, we don't really talk about positions, whether it be the two, the three, the four, shooting guard, small forward, power forward, etc. Will it be, though, the Kawhi and PG are the two and three or the three and four? Uh, what do you think happens now? Because this may change things with Shamit's injury. I, you know, I thought that Shamit could be someone whose um, who starting job was imperiled by Paul's return. I just thought that um, – 
you know, I, just the fit might be better for um, Kawhi and PG to take up maybe some of those forwards slash two spots. I mean, again, it's like the position thing. I don't really know if they think about it in terms of one, two, three, four, five, but mm-hmm. I just, I could see either um, Pat Patterson or Landry Shamit being the guys who, um, who, whose jobs could be changing because in the past, Doc has said that Mo Harkless uh, probably fits up best alongside Kawhi and Paul because of his switchiness and his frame. And, um, you know, you, you basically can put those three guys out there and they can switch every single thing on the floor. So it gives them a lot of options defensively. So that was one thought I had was if that holds true, um, there's not only Paul coming back um, at him to the lineup, but it's also Admiral Harkless. Um, I, I don't know if that, that will be the case, but I, you know, I think that Pat Beverly right now is, um, is probably your, your starter, even when Paul comes back. Zubats has looked uh, tremendous this year. So I think he, those two guys are probably in there. And then at that, maybe that, um, that second big spot, you could rotate around Paul and Kawhi, you know, one of Maurice uh, Harkless, Jermichael Green, Pat Patterson. They really like Pat Patterson. I mean, they played him a lot. Uh, I think his starting job has surprised some people still. Um, but, I mean, he's looked pretty active, at least the last couple games, um, hitting some threes early. So I against the Raptors, I, I'm not really sure how they're going to operate that Jermichael Harkless um, Patterson combo once Paul is back fully. But I, I, I do think there'll be changes and I, I, all along, even before the injury, I thought Landry might be someone whose minutes might go down just a tad. Yeah. This is when doc earns his paycheck here because he's got a lot of guys. And he's got to figure out who's going to fit best together. And he's talked about that sliding starting lineup. And I think you're right. I think Pat, Bav- Pat Beverly zoo and then George and Kawhi are the four that are probably locked in for the most part. Um, depending on opponent. But then you have that fifth guy, and is it going to be Harkless? Is it going to be Patterson? I was talking to Brian Seaman last week, and I asked how surprised he was when he saw that Patterson was the guy starting, and he was talking about how he was floored because they thought all leading up that it was going to be a guy like maybe probably Jermichael Green, and then they looked at who was starting the final practice, and they saw that it was Patterson, and that kind of gave them an idea that, hey, this could be possible because he shot the ball really well. And what's interesting about this team is you really don't know who's going to be on the floor at one time. I mean, it could be those guys are starting, but that doesn't mean that they're actually closing the game. So the versatility of the Clippers has really been on display so far. What have you seen from the actual versatility of the team? Well, to that point about the difference between opening and closing, I think that one of the things that Doc Rivers has had to juggle is who to play at center the last, you know, crunch time let's put it that way of the fourth quarter because again Zubats has looked really good recently um but then of course you have Montrez Harrell who is um it gives you everything you expect the points the rebounds the energy and so there have been some times when um you know late in the fourth quarter I think that Zubats has been playing really well but Montrez is like uh, you know this is my time too like I can go I can do this and they know that he's going to uh, kind of be that finishing touch as he was against Toronto with that late dunk um, he, was, he was instrumental in that win and helping them kind of grind that thing out. So that's a really hard decision because I just think that um, Zubats plays really well with Kawhi Leonard. Um, that pick and roll has been a monster success this season, um, but so has, so has Harrell. I mean, I think at one point Harrell and Leonard were averaging 21 fourth quarter points combined um, this season. I mean, that, that's a huge chunk. So, you know, taking Zoo off the floor is not an easy decision by any means, but it, but it's a good luxury to have 
Um, you know, Doc Rivers has a lot of these luxuries that are they're diff- difficult decisions, but he's not trading sometimes, um, you know, a bad player or a good player for a bad player out of necessity for one player can play defense, one guy can play offense. Um, there are a lot of two-way guys who have been really instrumental this year, and um, it, I don't think he has a great hold on what his crunch time lineup will be, what his lineups will be all the way through the game, because there is so much variability, so much optionality between the skill sets that he can mix and match. I think Mo Harkless is perfect. I mean, he's a guy who, um, no, not a starter, um, probably isn't playing as many minutes as he would want, and yet he's a really crucial component for why Toronto only scored 10 points in the fourth quarter Monday night. You know, he was, he, I think he guarded every single position, Doc Rivers said. So it's, it's, a, it's again, these are good problems. These are really good problems for the Clippers to have. But they're decisions nonetheless. Yeah, no, for sure. And the one thing is about having this many options is it means that you can play guys a few less minutes and have them fresh for the entire season. I mean, there's no need to play a guy like Trez 38 minutes or 35 minutes even for that matter when you have a guy like Zoo that is capable of playing 20 minutes on the floor. I mean, you can do a nice job here of dispersing minutes amongst your entire team when you have 10 or 11 guys that you trust. What'll be interesting though, is what happens now with Shamit's injury, how that impacts the team. Because obviously I think you and I are both on the same page that we both thought Shamit was going to drop to the second unit. So now that's probably not going to happen. Who does that open more minutes for? Because you're going to have Lou Williams, whose usage was probably going to go down, but now it seems like he's still going to be there in the second unit with Trez. Who, who, is going to step up into those minutes that Sham is leaving behind. Is it just as simple as PG? Um, I mean, I think the Jerome Robinson off the bench could be a beneficiary of that. You know, he's someone who has been on the edge of the rotation since the season. Um, this might be the thing to, you know, to get him into some quality minutes with Lou and Trez in that second unit more often. He's, he's not been you know glued to the bench this year. He has been used and, um, he has supporters in the organization, and I think that he has shown actually some really nice aggressiveness at times this year that was not the case early at the Clippers, where he was um, deferential to a fault. And you know, the coaches would say, "Hey, be aggressive, look for your shot. You know, you're a score. That's why we drafted you. You're a score." I think that message has definitely taken root, um, and he he is trying to show that. But this is a stacked team with a big rotation, so I think he's someone who could. You know, I don't know if it's a massive amount of minutes, but I could see him getting that that door cracked open just enough um, for the rotation that he could take advantage of it. Who do you think takes the biggest hit then with PG back? Because he's obviously going to play 30 plus minutes on the floor because minutes are obviously going to go down for some people. Who do you think it impacts the most? Um, that, I think it goes back to the question about Shamit. You know, I, I think he probably would have been in line, um, at least in my view, to go to the bench, um, come off the bench blue. And so that, I think he, with him being hurt, that changes things. Um, you know, I could see maybe uh, maybe Pat Patterson, uh, just because you know Paul is so versatile that he can play at pretty much any spot if he needed to. So um, I, I wonder if that would make Pat. Although he's been a, a starter so far, I wonder if that changes anything. Um, that's I think that yeah, the sham injury does add, add a wrinkle that maybe it lessens some of the impact um, that we would have expected to have seen because he's now out. How long do you think he's actually going to be out for? Because it seems like with these reports of all these injured players, and it seems like everybody's getting injured nowadays, that it's they'll be reevaluated 
in X amount of weeks. Not that they're going to return in X amount of weeks. It's going to, they're going to be reevaluated. What do you think is a realistic realistic expectation to see Shamit back on the floor? Yeah, reevaluation is a great non-deadline deadline, right? It's mm-hmm. a great way to um, to say you know he he won't be back now, but we think we could have a better picture. It kind of allows for a little more wiggle room. I, that's something that basically I don't have a great sense for what a high ankle sprain of that degree um, really look, looks like because players go back or rehab differently. You know, um, Sham has played through injuries before. Um, he had foot injuries, not ankle injuries, in college. Um, so this is something where. He has, um, it's not the first time he's been hurt or had a pretty significant injury. Um, so I, I, that's the main question I want to ask Doc Rivers tonight, pregame in Houston, because, um, you know, there are websites that can tell you one thing, but um, I, I think that, you know, what, what a team or what Landry's threshold for pain is something else. And so I, I do not know. I, I truly do not know. I mean, he could be someone who pushes back early. Um, he really works at it. Um, that would not surprise me, but. You know, maybe it's a six-week thing. Maybe it's a four-week thing. I'm not really sure. Yeah, and it's tough with these injuries because you don't want to bring them back too soon. There's really no need to bring them back soon. That's the one luxury the Clippers have is that because they have so many players, they don't need to rush these guys. You want to get Shamit back on the floor, obviously, to develop some chemistry with these guys that he's going to be playing with, whether it be as in the starting lineup or off the bench. But you also don't want to bring him back when he's not 100%. And... I I still believe that Paul George, if they absolutely needed him, could have played three or four weeks ago. But they I think they really did baby him and they're taking their time with him to make sure he's 100 percent healthy. Do you think he comes back into a full allotment of minutes in like within a week or two? Or do you think they take their time with him and he only plays about 20 minutes or so? Yeah, I think within a week or two. I think so, because, um, you know, we saw with Kawhi. Um, what was it, you know, early on, he was really limited to about maybe 12 to 15 minutes early in some of those preseason games. And then pretty soon it was 30 to 35, you know, and that was within a matter of probably two or three weeks. So I, the, the, the biggest danger that Doc Rivers had, he shared with us when Paul practiced full time, uh, for the first time last Saturday was that, you know, guys, um, the, the lungs, the endurance, um, that's something that is kind of the last thing you have to get prepared for because the shoulder probably feels very good right now, but he hasn't been getting game reps and game reps are different than practice reps. Um, and so they want to make sure that, you know, he doesn't hurt himself essentially exerting too much, just getting used to the game rep thing again. So I think that obviously in the short term, whenever he comes back, maybe it's Thursday night, he um, is on a certainly minutes limit. And then I would say, I feel like within maybe two weeks, um, he should be, I would think, at a normal allotment because he, this is a guy who, from all accounts, um, has not shirked his workload in the offseason getting ready. And so I, I think he's in pretty good conditioning, but it's just a matter of kind of really um, polishing it and getting it in game shape, which I don't think should take too long. He's obviously a tremendous player. What do you think is going to be the biggest asset that he brings to the team? Is it going to be offensively with the three-point shooting or is it going to be defensively? Yeah, I think the three-point shooting, honestly. I mean, the Clippers, no secret, they've shot the ball really poorly from there this season. And he's a career nearly 38% shooter from deep, 40% last year from three. So I think that he puts a little more fear into teams um, from beyond the three-point line, um, adds some more room for Kawhi to do the pick-and-rolls. It's going to be so hard to defend those pick-and-rolls with Kawhi and you name it, um, Mizzou or Harrell. 
um, when you have Paul just kind of lurking there on the on the perimeter waiting for a three pointer. So I I think that is where um, I would I would feel like teams would be the most fearful. I, I think the defense is so well known at this point, um, and the defense is already pretty good with this team. I know they're 11th in defensive rating. It could be better, but um, as the fourth quarter against Toronto showed, that they can they can lock people up. They can go to some unconventional lineups and big lineups and lock people up. Um, but what's really missing right now is that three point shooting, and that's where I think that um, it's not something that Clippers are stressing about by any means. Um, they Doc Rivers is of the opinion that things work themselves out when you shoot. It just does. But um, I still think that that's a, it's a huge area for improvement early. Yeah, and Shamit wasn't very good to start, so that didn't obviously help at all. Beverly wasn't shooting very well to start. Um, Kawhi, obviously you add Kawhi there with PG, and you get some more shooting on the floor along with Lou Williams. I mean, you have, you have guys that can shoot the three ball, Pat Patterson as well. Um, maybe that's one more piece the Clippers need. Um, but I think adding PG is probably going to be enough in terms of three point shooting. We'll have to see. I'm curious to see how this team does because you look at the record, obviously with Kawhi, it's seven and one, they're an incredible team. So if you look at this Clippers team, what has impressed you the most so far about this squad? I I think that they, how well they have played together early, um, considering that. Kawhi didn't really practice the first week uh, in terms of full contact of training camp. Didn't really do a whole lot in the, in the off season in terms of those pickup runs that players say was really vital to get to know one another. Now he was around, but he wasn't really playing a whole lot um, while he was coming back from his injury. Um, and, and so I think that um, there were some thoughts early on that, you know, these first 10 games are going to be really hard and um, no one really sure how they're going to look. And, from my read, this team so far has kind of surpassed those expectations of how they would look early. And I think a lot of that, um, I mean, even players, I feel like you're talking to Evita Zubak um, about what's like to play with Kawhi. And he's just like, he's just, that's what he does. Like he just kind of pulls people together. Um, he's, he lifts people up and he's really taken them to where they have. And I think that that's why Monday's game was really interesting to me because Kawhi was not that player. You know, he was not scoring like crazy. He was not taking it over with his sheer will, um, but they still won anyway. And I think that's a really important kind of building moment for this team that even when Kawhi is not hitting, when he's not, you know, just becoming an inferno in the fourth quarter, um, there are still so many ways this team can beat you. And it starts on the defensive end where he's obviously vital. Um, But I think that's a a really important point that, you know, the, the kind of character we saw last year uh, with the Lou Williams, the Montrose Heralds, that, that kind of combination, that potency, is still something that can lift this team, no doubt, right now. Yeah, you stole exactly what I was going to say. I think it's so important that they had last year and they saw that they could come back from down 20 against a team like the Celtics without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. I mean, this team obviously did have SGA, they did have Gallo, but that being said, this team now has the confidence that it doesn't matter how far they get down or who they're down to, they know that they have the skill to come back. And last year was really important to show these guys that they're gritty and they are that good. And it doesn't matter if a guy like Paul George or Kawhi is 0 for 10 and they can't hit the backside of the barn. I mean, Kawhi had nine turnovers, I think it was. I mean, he was awful. And they still won the game. And it tells you how good this team has been. And that's really, truly impressive. Yeah, I mean, that's, that was something that um, I think that 
having Mo Harkless really helps. I mean, underrated offseason addition. I mean, again, he can guard a, a ton of people, and he can give you some cover when you have Lou Williams, who is um, not the best defender in the world, um, in those late-game lineups when you need lose offense. Well, Mo can jump around and do a lot of different things and cover up mistakes, and he was superb in the fourth quarter. Um, so I, that's where this team is, is really dangerous because um, you really aren't sure by tonight where it's going to come from. Um, and I think that's what we're all kind of waiting for, right? Like, what will this team look like when it all does click together? Uh, I, don't, I don't really know. I think by Christmas time is when we'll have a really, really, really accurate gauge of what this team could look like because, you know, potentially Shamit could be back. Um, Paul George will be fully in the mix by then. Gore Leonard fully in the mix, obviously. Um, but we're going to get our glimpses soon of what this team could really look like. It's strange to say this, but I think that this 7-3 and three start is really important uh, for another reason that no one's really talking about, I don't think. The Lakers have been off to a really good start, and I don't think it would look good for optics if the Lakers were sitting 8-2 and two and the Clippers were 5-5. Five and five. I know that's silly to say, but it just seems like when you're in a market like L.A., that's something that probably would have been a big topic that the Clippers are not succeeding, they're not doing well, and there'll be more pressure on this team that obviously I'm not sure they would have actually cared about, but I think there would have been pressure on this team that would have been unnecessary, and I think it's important they got to this 7-3 and three start because the Lakers have been so good. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I do think that I agree with all that. I think the Clippers would not have cared, and I think that it would have been unavoidable that it would have been a talking point of, you know, um, we, but we, we, we were told in the offseason both teams were finals contenders. What's going on? Um, I, I think that even with Paul George sitting out, you still would have heard that. So the fact that they are now coming back and have played well and now get Paul, um, that's that's a huge boon for them because they don't have to answer for early season problems or early season struggles. They've they've done this without, at some times, both of their key offseason additions. And so that's been the impressive part. Um, now, I, there are still a lot of ways this team um, can improve, but I think that the fact that they've done this um, not only without Kawhi and without PG, but against the, the schedule that has been, I think ESPN has rated it the second toughest thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's something that is, it's, it's hard sometimes to know how to, how to really rate this first um, section of the season without PG because this is not what the team's going to look like eventually. And so, like, what do you really do with this segment of time that we've just watched? And yet, it's not nothing either because it's 10% of the season, and um, that's all going to go toward the playoff race or the seeding. So it's really important to know um, kind of that this team, again, um, even in situations where it's not going to have full strength, um, can hang with teams. You said that the team can still improve. Apart from three-point shooting, what do you think is the next biggest way the team can improve? Well, um, I think getting up to slow starts has been a problem. Um, You know, they've had these stretches where they've just fallen behind now, not in the Toronto game, but um, I thought the starting lineup, um, you know, I think it's had some first quarter struggles. Um, obviously again, it's like, well, that, that lineup will be changing. So I'm not really sure how much of that more of a concern that is. Um, but I do think that early on, it seemed like their offense would just kind of disappear for two or three minutes at a time, and put them in a hole. Um, I, I think that the Shaman shooting was something that I was, you know, I wasn't that concerned about because last year he had, in Philadelphia, a really poor shooting preseason and ended up shooting, uh, I think, 40% with the Sixers. You knew he was probably going to bounce back from his preseason, but it hadn't quite clicked yet. Um, and I was just, you know, I was encouraging. He had four three-pointers in the fourth quarter 
last week in a win. Um, but I just, you know, you want to see a little more consistency from that. That's something when he comes back that I'll still be looking for. Um, what else? Um, that, I mean, those are kind of off the top of my head. Those are some of them. I, I think that I've actually really been impressed on the counterhand with um, the rebounding. I mean, this is a team that, you know, go figure. They got longer and they got better at rebounding. But um, they were 14th going into last game in a rebounding average. Then after they grabbed 66, that certainly helped. Um, now they're fourth. Um, but I do think that even that exception aside, they've been a pretty good defensive rebounding team and really good offensive rebounding team. And, and Zubats is right in the middle of all that. Yeah, I thought they were going to struggle to rebound because in the preseason it was not good. They were getting out-rebounded every game. And I did worry about Zoo because it seemed like the Clippers really needed to add one more big and he wasn't going to be able to handle it. But he's really silenced all critics. He's been absolutely tremendous. I know a lot of it had to do with his hands that were hurt last year. And now he's just much better at catching the basketball down low off these incredible feeds from Kawhi that finds him in just a small pocket of space. It's really been tremendous to watch Zoo improve this year. And you look back and what were the Lakers doing? Trading away Zoo from Mike Muscala. I mean, that might have been one of the worst trades the Lakers have done in quite some time because Zoo has been absolutely incredible. I mean, what have you seen from him and how he's improved? You know, um, I wrote about him in training camp because uh, in this topic, because he really felt like um, last year's series against the Warriors gave him a lot of fuel for the offseason to improve. Um, on the one hand, he knew that the Warriors are kind of an unfair comparison to make because how many players, how many centers um, can really stay on the floor against that small lineup? Um, you know, he, he watched Clint Capella get basically get his role minimized. Um, uh, in the second round of the playoffs against the Warriors, um, we saw Ennis Cantor, same thing, third round. Um, so he kind of knew he wasn't like alone by any means, but he also didn't feel great that he went from being a starter to barely off the bench in that first round series. And, um, and that's something that he really was driven by this offseason. Now he got a big boost by the contract that gave him a lot of confidence that, Hey, the Clippers still believe in me, but I think you're seeing a guy who um, wants to be a finisher, wants to be known as a finisher who can play in crunch time. He can stay on the floor against smaller players. Um, I, he is still very young, you know, but he really felt like um, that wasn't an excuse anymore. He's been in the league for a long time. Um, and that he really felt like watching Mark Gasol stay on the court against the Warriors, that iteration of the Warriors was really instructive. Um, he actually almost went and worked out with Gasol this summer. The timing he said didn't work out. Gasol was, you know, getting ready for the World Cup um, after the finals run. But he almost felt like that kind of provided the blueprint for what he needed to do um, to be able to be impactful. And I don't really know if, um, how much of that specific, you know, Gasol playbook has really come into play early on, but I've just been very impressed by his one pick up, uh, excuse me, pick and roll, uh, rolling, and then his, his offensive rebounding, where I think he's um, he's just very difficult to contain on the offensive glass. Interesting. Yeah, he he's a guy that really has taken that next step, and you wonder where can he go, how high can he go, how good he can he become? Because there's obviously a lot he can do still to become a better player, and you wonder what is the limit for him, how good can he be. How good do you think he can be? I mean, if you look at it right now, look at him. How good can he be? Who can he be compared to in the NBA? Uh, I that's a good question. I don't. I haven't really stretched it out and thought long term about where he fits, mm -hmm. kind of in the in the center spectrum. Um, 
I think his, his age, though, is something that gives you a lot of hope that he can be um, a very good center because he is still so young that um, this is not something where um, you're looking at a guy who's kind of in his late 20s and you're, boy, did we saddle him with a big contract? Is he really going to be worth it? Um, do we get him on the downside? Is he very useful? I think that um, Zoo has, has not shown all he can do. And, you know, adding maybe a little mid-range game is something that he's shown in flashes uh, against um, Rudy Gobert early when Gobert would um, kind of come outside, stay inside. Zoo hit that against Utah. He also was, I think, really impressive at knowing that Gobert was not going to run down court with him, so he beat him back on a couple transition buckets uh, for dunks. So he's he's very aware about um, kind of where he can have an edge on guys. So I think his understanding of the game is pretty good. Um, and now it's just a matter of I think refining probably the, maybe that mid-range shot a little bit so that if he ever gets you know the ball and the pick and roll, he doesn't have to maybe roll all the way. He can just kind of pull up and hit, and hit that one. Um, but I. I don't know. I don't really know what his development and what his goals are in terms of three point shooting. Obviously that's a, a huge thing that centers are being asked to do these days. I'm not really sure how far that is up his list or, or if that's in his wheelhouse at all, mm-hmm. but um, kind of what he's been doing so far is been enough by far. I'll leave you with this question. Was there a little bit of you that smiled when you saw Chris Boucher block Trez? Was there just a little bit of you that smiled? <laughs> you know, I never know because I never knew Chris and I never um, covered him when he was playing at Oregon. So I, I, I didn't really know that iteration of, of Ducks basketball at all. Mm-hmm. But it is, a, it is a cool story. I will say that, that, you know, to go from the two-way to the G League um, and to kind of catch him during a weekend where it was a breakout weekend in a lot of ways for him. First the Lakers, that fourth quarter, and then overtime. And then um, he showed – a lot of potential. He showed um, a ton of his potential against the Clippers. I, I, even though I never really was around him um, while I was covering Oregon, I really always felt like this player seems like the guy that the NBA wants. Like he seems like the, the exact prototype for you know an ideal NBA player and like the stretchy, spread out league that it's become. So I guess in that way, I'm like I'm glad that he's getting um, some time to show the potential that I felt like was was really tailor-made to this era. Um, so I, I, I'm really curious to see where he goes from here. I will say that. It's a it's kind of a frightening combination, his length, um, his athleticism. Yeah, we, this is a, obviously hoopball is a fancy basketball podcast, and a guy that can shoot threes, get steals, blocks, rebounds, it's pretty tantalizing. His per 36 is crazy. You just wonder if he's actually going to continue to get minutes once uh, Ibaka comes back. He's Andrew Greif. You can follow him at Andrew Greif, G-R-E-I-F, on Twitter. You can read him on the LA Times, whether it be the print edition or the digital edition. Anything else that uh, we should promote, Andrew, before we let you go? Um, No, that's that's it for now, but I just uh, thanks for having me on again. Of course. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll talk to you next time on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrew. He knows the team as well as anybody else. It's incredible what beat writers do. They uh, they do not have a extravagant lifestyle. It's very interesting that they have to go. They fly commercial. They fly with everybody else, not with the team. Then they got to go. They stay in plenty of hotels. They rack up those hotel points. And then they follow the team wherever they go. And so Andrew's obviously going to be in Houston tonight. And then he'll head to New Orleans just like everybody else. And he'll be at that game tomorrow and then back to L.A. on Saturday. It's a very crazy lifestyle that beat writers live. And uh, Andrew does a great job covering the team. Once again, you can cover, see him on Twitter 
at Andrew Greif, G-R-E-I-F is how you pronounce that last name or how you spell out that last name. You pronounce it Greif. If you look at his Twitter, he actually says, pronounce it Greif and we'll be just fine. And hey, that's what I did. And we are just fine. So we'll have Andrew on uh, a couple more times, obviously, throughout the season. He does a really nice job. And uh, it's good to hear from him. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'll have another one for you as of now. The goal is to have one on Sunday afternoon um, to recap the Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday games. Um, I'm off once again um, to go cover UC Irvine women's basketball. So I will not be able to do a podcast unless I do one for my hotel room again, which more than likely won't happen unless there is some sort of breaking news. Um, I know Paul George is going to come back either tonight or tomorrow night. Um, would love to have a conversation and do something on Friday, but not sure that's actually going to be possible since I will be on the road um, in Kansas City, but we'll be back on Sunday to chat about everything that happened this week. And uh, we have a new co-host coming at some point, coming up soon. So uh, excited for you to meet him as well. My name, Brandon Marcus. You can follow me on Twitter at BDMarcus. At Hoopball Clips is obviously the podcast. And of course, we can't say goodbye without thanking our sponsors. Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. This podcast, like all our shows, is brought to you by our title sponsor, Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee Company. Check out their website at hawaiianisles.com on Amazon by searching for Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee or on Twitter at Hi Kona Coffee. And don't forget, folks, we have an incredible thing going on at Hoopball. Our founder, the great Aaron Bruski, has decided to write an email newsletter for the 2019-2020 season. It's exclusive content you cannot find anywhere else. It's not on the website. It's not in any podcast. It's not on social media. It's only in the email newsletter, and you can sign up to get it for free. Just go to hoop-ball.com slash newsletter and sign up in 10 seconds. Again, this site is hoop-ball.com slash newsletter. Aaron Bruski, straight to your inbox every single week. Hope you enjoy it. So until Sunday, talk to you next time. Enjoy Kawhi and PG together. How sweet it is. Later, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.